Since taking this office, I've never been more optimistic about a year ahead than I am right now. Well, that's optimistic, Mr. President. I'll take it, I guess. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon, KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO in Cozy Cottage Grove. Out in Pennsylvania, 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster. I don't know how in Ohio, Hawaii, KAKU, the voice of Maui. Coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org. Streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR in Nashville, and of course, Radio Sputnik five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com with another thrilling action-packed adventure that we call the Bradcast. Glad you could join us this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whenever you may be lucky enough to tune in. Uh, Desi Doyen, of course, joins me as ever, our producer here. Hey, Desi Doyen, how hey, are you? Hey, I am here. I, I know, am good. I know the only thing you're doing is waiting for Star Wars. I understand. <laughs> I understand. Everybody is just waiting for Star Wars. Um, me too, by the way. And the president. The president is apparently... Uh, watching Star Wars in the White House, or at least they're screening it in the White House today for a bunch of school children. And uh, Gold Star families. And Gold Star families. Lucky them. Uh, the president is also flying out west on his way towards uh, his holiday out in Hawaii. He'll be stopping in San Bernardino on the way out to speak with uh, families of victims of the San Bernardino shootings out here. Uh, but before he left, a lot of news going on in Washington, D.C., and a lot of news going on not just at the White House and in Congress before they all break for the for the holiday, but also, uh, well, I was going to call it a squabble, but more than a squabble be, uh, <laughs> between uh, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Uh, and really more specifically, I suppose, Bernie Sanders and the DNC, who the Sanders campaign is now suing. So that is just happening as we go to air. We'll try to get to all of that and much more ahead on today's broadcast. So let's jump right into the uh, to the agreement struck in Congress. And this is, uh, well, kind of a welcome relief for those in the news industry who have spent the last few years, even literally on New Year's Eve, waiting for Congress to come up with a an agreement to keep the government from shutting down before the midnight hour on New Year's Eve to agree on a spending package. Well, now Congress has, in fact, come to such an agreement, surprising a lot of people by overwhelmingly approving a massive omnibus omnibus bill, 2016 tax and spending package, sending it to the president for his signature. And here we are, not even a week before Christmas. What the? 
Uh, he spoke at a press conference today, the president did, about this uh, about this bill. We'll get to that momentarily. But he said there's some things in there that I don't like, but that's the nature of legislation and compromise. And he said, I think the system worked. The legislation puts two enormous bills, a $1.14 trillion government-wide spending measure to fund every cabinet agency through next September. So I guess we can look forward to the next fight in next September, just before the election. And also a bill, a $680 billion tax package that extends dozens of tax breaks, uh, making some of them permanent and tossing the entire cost into the deficit. So Republicans got some of the tax breaks that they wanted and... uh, Without you know paying for them, they go into the deficit. We are going to pay for them, I suppose, down the road. Republicans and Democrats joined to approve this spending bill on a resounding 316 to 113 uh, vote in the U.S. House. So, and actually, uh, majorities from both parties voted in favor of this thing. The Senate voted uh, 65 to 33 to send the entire package to Obama's desk. Of course, hardliners uh, and the Republican side mostly were disappointed because they didn't get a lot of the uh, riders that they had wanted in there. Planned Parenthood, you're cutting off funding for Planned Parenthood, stopping Syrian refugees from settling in the U.S. Some, some of the uh, GOP presidential candidates in the Senate opposed the legislation. Of course, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida did not even bother to show up and vote, as is his want. He pretty much never shows up to vote anymore. Ted Cruz and Rand Paul of Kentucky both voted no on the bill. Yet few conservatives were complaining According to uh, Associated Press about Speaker Paul Ryan himself, many lawmakers, Republicans and Democrats alike, proudly touted their their accomplishments here uh, that they and those that they have achieved since the new Speaker of the House was sworn in just a few weeks ago at this point. Um, So they've passed at year end here bipartisan bills on highways and education and a two year budget and a debt deal that now paves the way for the uh, spending and tax legislation that was uh, finalized on Friday and sent to the president. Democratic leaders Nancy Pelosi of California and uh, in the House Harry Reid of Nevada complained about a provision lifting the four-decade-old ban on exporting crude oil, which we talked about in our Green News report this week as it happened. Uh, But in exchange, both Pelosi and Reid boasted of concessions that they received from Republicans, including the five-year, a five-year extension of solar and wind tax credits. Yeah, that's a really big deal. Well, this was a big deal, a big goal for Harry Reid. Uh, have they ever had a five-year, or it's usually two years it's at a usually, time, right? uh, It's Yeah, it's usually very short-term. It generally has to be re-voted on and reauthorized every congressional session. And mm-hmm. what it does is it creates a great deal of uncertainty for the renewable energy industry because investors want to know, oh, wait, are you going to take this thing away from me that you just gave right. us? And to companies to have you know some kind of certainty up ahead for the funding landscape that they are going to be approaching when they have these gigantic projects with huge capital-intensive uh, requirements uh, to start. So that was one big thing that came in with that. Democrats also blocked some of those policy writers uh, that I had mentioned, uh, the Planned Parenthood and so forth, but also they blocked writers 
that Republicans were looking for on the environment and other issues. They were trying to curb the EPA's authority. Uh, Nancy Pelosi gloated, according to AP, saying that the Republicans wanted big oil so much that export, uh, the lifting of that export ban. They wanted big oil so much that they gave away the store, says Nancy Pelosi. Well, that's that's probably uh, overstating it quite a bit. I think she is. Uh, yeah, I think but so. You know what? There's a thousand thousands of pages in this bill. Maybe there's some stuff she knows about that we have yet to figure out. Yeah. And, and you know, there's one thing in there that just really quick that is really important is, yes, the extension of the renewable energy tax credits. Um, it's not just important, but what it does is the extension for five years on some of those credits and seven years from some of those other credits is that it will help to get the renewable energy industry over the hump until the clean power plan, Obama's clean power plan, actually comes into effect. So being able to have that kind of financial regulatory approach and support before that uh, comes into effect, that, that, that really does sort of help bridge that gap that was concerning for many people watching the renewable energy industry. For his part, President Barack Obama uh, held his year-end press conference touting the uh, well, a number of accomplishments as he saw it over the year, uh, touting uh, the drop in unemployment rate uh, and the uninsured uh, healthcare uninsured rate that just dropped to uh, just ten percent, uh, and also the lowest growth rate for healthcare costs in decades. Obviously, citing the Affordable Care Act, the uh, Obamacare plan that seems to be working. Of course, there are still uh, 10% of Americans who don't have any coverage. A lot of that is due to the fact that uh, Republican states will not expand Medicaid as uh, allowed for in this bill, which would give millions more Americans the coverage that they need to stay healthy. Uh, but still, uh, we're now down to 10%, which is a huge drop in, um, in the uninsured rate in this country. Uh, the president also went on to tout this year's clean energy industry boom and the Paris Agreement, the Paris Accord, uh, to cut global uh, to cut greenhouse gas emissions that cause global warming. He said that was quote only possible due to American leadership. He also uh, celebrated the conclusion of the landmark trade deal, the Trans-Pacific Partnership which, while he has concluded that agreement, it still needs to be voted on in Congress. And I, I think we're going to be talking about that next week a little bit uh, because uh, that has sort of one of many things that have gotten lost uh, over recent weeks with all of the uh, talk of the terror attacks, both in Paris and in San Bernardino and uh, the presidential race and the Republicans freaking out. Uh, that TPP is still on the table and it is still opposed by both Republicans and Democrats alike and also supported by both Republicans and Democrats alike. So a fight uh, lays ahead on that. Uh, after decades of advocacy, the president uh, said marriage equality became a reality in all 50 states this year. That's true and a good thing. Thanks, uh, He thanks Congress for an education bill, transportation bill, allowing states to put people back to work, building roads and bridges. That will be nice. Uh, and uh, he says, of course, there is still work to do. Congress needs to promote job growth, increase wages, reform the criminal justice system. The president cited the fact that he had commuted sentences today of 95 Americans. Well, that's good, but he has still uh, given fewer pardons and commutations than any other president in recent history. 
He says that the U.S. continues to lead the global coalition to destroy ISIL or ISIS or the Islamic State or Daesh, whatever you want to call it. He says that uh, ISIS has lost 40 percent of territory that it controls in Iraq and has made significant gains. Uh, the U.S. has made significant gains and their coalition partners uh, significant gains against ISIL in Syria. And he called for Americans to, quote, refuse to be terrorized. Well, good luck with that, Mr. President. He did go on to say, as we played in our opening quote, that uh, since taking this office, I've never been more optimistic about the year ahead than I am right now. So that was an optimistic uh, President Barack Obama at his year-end press conference. And I'm going to play uh, one of the points that he made, an, an answer to a question from a reporter. But before I do, I need to sort of set up what happened, because there is a lot of confusion uh, and and there was a number of questions about this, uh, about whether the government needs to do more in its uh, so-called fight on terror by reviewing the social media of all of the people who are applying for visas coming to the U.S. This on the heels of the San Bernardino attack, attack and the claims that one of the attackers, Tashfin Malik, uh, had made uh, proclamations on social media that the government completely missed because, oh, they're just not fighting terror hard enough, apparently. And this comes in the wake of a New York Times article on Sunday which reported that the U.S. government had, had missed something that was key, that was sitting right out there in the open, that uh, the jihadist social media posts by one of those San Bernardino killers was sitting right there and the government just wasn't working hard enough, didn't find it. Tashfin Malik, the paper reported on Sunday in the lead of their article on this, uh, Malik, who with her husband carried out the massacre in San Bernardino, California, passed three background checks by American immigration officials as she moved to the U.S. from Pakistan. None covered what Ms. Malik had made little effort to hide that she talked openly on social media about her views on violent jihad. She said she supported it and that she said she wanted to be a part of it. That was reported by the New York Times. And as the New York Times public editor now says, that was certainly damning and it was wrong. Ms. Malik had not posted openly on social media. She had written emails. She had written private messages on a social media app, but she did not make any of that visible to the public. And this is no small thing. As Eric Wemple has been reporting over the week at Washington Post, there is a huge difference between how you report this, a huge difference between uh, you know, simply posting a private message, an email, versus posting something publicly on your timeline. Josh Marshall says one set of facts is roughly the equivalent to finding out after the fact that Malik had discussed jihad with friends privately via email. The other makes the mistake that the entire government counterterrorism operation seems incompetent. Even unintentionally, it amounts to mainstream media disinformation. And Margaret Sullivan, the public editor over at The New York Times, agrees and absolutely excoriated her own paper. As well she should. Because as that story got picked up throughout the week, it was used to, uh, you know, as an attack on the government, an attack on Democrats, an attack on President Obama. 
She notes that it was not long before Republican presidential candidate Ted Cruz was using it to bash Democrats. Well, the reporters got it completely wrong. Mother Jones is now calling for the ro- those reporters to be dismissed entirely. Salon.com called it an epic reporting fail with dire national consequences. Uh, The uh, public editor, again, Margaret Sullivan, said she talked with the executive editor of The New York Times, Dean Baquet. He said that they are now putting some new procedures in place that they need to put them in place, especially for dealing with anonymous sources, because once again, they were dealing with anonymous sources. So were anonymous sources simply feeding this misinformation to The New York Times in order to make Democrats look bad? Does that sound familiar? Did that march us towards war? 10 years ago, 15 years ago, wherever we are at this point. So we're seeing the same thing that we had seen a decade ago, still at the same uh, paper of record, the New York Times. Now, the uh, executive editor has admitted this was a really big mistake. And more than anything else, since I've become editor, it does make me think we need to do something about how we handle anonymous sources. Oh, you think? He said that this was a system failure that we have to fix. Public editor called on them to slow down at the New York Times. She said the Times needs to fix its overuse of unnamed government sources. It needs to slow down the reporting and editing process, especially in the fever pitch atmosphere surrounding a major news event. Those are procedural changes and they are needed, she said. But most of all and more fundamental, the pipe, the paper needs to show far more skepticism, a kind of prosecutorial scrutiny at every level of the process. Two front-page, anonymously sourced stories in a few months have required editors' notes that corrected key elements, she writes, elements that were integral enough to form the basis of the headlines in both cases. That is not acceptable for Times readers or for the paper's credibility, which is at its most which is its most precious asset. At this point, I'm led to say uh, to the New York Times, what credibility? The public editor goes on to say, if this isn't a red alert, I don't know what will be. Yes, this stuff matters. And in fact, as I said, President Obama was asked about it today at the press conference by a reporter who said, uh, well, you know what, some some people are saying, some people, I guess, including the New York Times here, some people are saying that the government should review the social media of all people applying for visas coming to the U.S., and the president had to try as best he could in any event to clear this up, citing some of this quote-unquote garbled reporting. The issue of reviewing social media for those who are obtaining visas, I think may have gotten garbled a little bit uh, because there, there may be a, it, it's important to distinguish between posts that are public, social media on a Facebook page versus private communications uh, through various social media or apps. Uh, and our Uh, Law enforcement and intelligence professionals are constantly monitoring public posts, and that is part of the visa review process uh, that that people are investigating uh, what individuals have said publicly uh, and uh, questioned about uh, any statements that they may be made. 
but if you have a private communications between uh, uh, two individuals, that's harder to discern uh, by definition. And one of the things we'll be doing is in engaging with the high-tech community to find out how we can, in an appropriate way, uh, do a better job if we have a lead to be able to uh, track a suspected terrorist. Uh, but we're going to have to recognize that uh, no government is going to have the capacity to read every single person's text or emails or social media. Uh, if, if it's not posted publicly, uh, then there are going to be feasibility issues that are uh, that are probably insurmountable at some level, and you know, it raises questions about our values. I mean, keep in mind it was only uh, a couple of years ago where we were having a major debate about whether the government was becoming too much like Big Brother. And overall, I think we've struck the right balance in protecting civil liberties and making sure that uh, U.S. citizens' privacy is preserved, that we are uh, making sure that there's oversight to what our intelligence agencies do. Um, but, uh, you know, we're going to have to continue to balance our needs for security with uh, people's legitimate concerns about privacy. So balancing those needs, we now have people calling once again for uh, looking at absolutely every single person's email, which is what you would have to have done uh, to have discovered uh, this conversation about jihad by the San Bernardino shooters. You'd have to look at every single piece of email put out by every single person, not just in this country, but in the globe. Is that what you want? Well, apparently some people do want that. And not only do they want that, they want the government, the U.S. government, to have a key to unlock absolutely every piece of encrypted data that people may now use in some of these applications that actually encode the data uh, that, that you send back and forth. This is absolutely key for what we do for our uh, online banking and everything else. I encryption is... Uh, and the companies that make these systems, including companies like iPhone, uh, Apple, I'm sorry, and, and Google, they don't want to give that key away to the government because, well, for a number of reasons. One, they don't think the government ought to be able to look into everybody, every absolutely every single communication uh, that occurs. But also they're concerned that if you give a, if you create a back door for the world for the government that the world will come in and take it that's something that you know will come in and take that key that's something that apparently is not understood by Republican presidential candidate John Kasich governor of Ohio who who seemed to be uh, at the uh, Republican debate recently in Vegas uh, far less concerned about guns, which actually kill people, uh, and seem to suggest that it was encryption, data encryption, that is actually so dangerous to Americans. Here's, here's John Kasich. There is a big problem. It's called encryption. And the people in San Bernardino were communicating with people who the FBI had been watching, but because their phone was encrypted, because the, the intelligence officials could not see who they were talking to, it was lost. 
We have to solve the encryption problem. It is not easy. We need to be able to penetrate these people when they are involved in these plots and these plans, and we have to give the local authorities the ability to penetrate the disrupt. That's what we need to do. Encryption is a major problem, and Congress has got to deal with this, and so does the president to keep us safe. Thank you, Thank Governor. You. Now, in fact, uh, most of that is untrue. They could have uh, uh, tapped into the communications uh, between the San Bernardino shooters, but there was no reason to do so because they had no idea that they were plotting jihad because it had never been discussed publicly, at least as far as we know, by either of these people. Now, the White House so far, to their credit, is resisting calls um, to revisit a decision made earlier this year when they sided with privacy advocates and cybersecurity experts warning against forcing technology companies to weaken the electronic safeguards that they offer on products like the iPhone and social media uh, sites like Facebook. The Obama administration, uh, as reported by Politico, seems to be showing every sign of sticking with that stance. They are not, at least as of now, uh, going to change their pos- position on encryption. Uh, so this would, uh, well, according to privacy experts, as as Politico notes, that would be a very dangerous thing to do. I spoke recently with Trevor Tim of the Freedom of the Press Foundation, uh, who talked exactly about uh, some of those dangers of allowing a secret, well, not even a secret, allowing a backdoor for the government to get into encrypted communications. Uh, you know, you can use encryption as long as you give us the key. That's the law that they would like to pass. Unfortunately, security doesn't work that way. I mean, you know, put aside the fact mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, if this was ever a power given to government, they would inevitably abuse it because, as we've seen over and over again in history, they constantly abuse their surveillance powers. But even let's just say that we trust the government 100% and that they will never abuse the power of having a key and that they will only use it when they have a warrant for information. The problem with that is that that key is still vulnerable to all of these other actors uh, who will try to steal it. Uh, They will try to steal that key uh, from the U.S. government, which, as we've seen, uh, it's not that hard to do, given that the entire U.S. government, it seems, has been hacked over the past couple of years right. by various forms of government. Whether we're talking about State Department emails that were hacked by uh, allegedly the Russian government, whether it was all of the, the 20 million people who had applied for security clearances, whether it's the White House email system, mm-hmm. all these things we've found out over the past year have been hacked and infiltrated uh, by all of these third parties. And we're going to say, oh, yeah, we trust you with the one key that will unlock every single person's communications. That, to me, sounds like a crazy idea. It is a crazy idea. What could possibly go wrong? Trying to make sense of the difficult to understand. Um, and it, it certainly doesn't help when the, uh, the paper of record, New York Times, helps confuse everything by blatantly misreporting, apparently, Whatever they hear from anonymous sources, we have enough trouble making sense of it all here in this country. Uh, Well, as I'll make clear, and as we have more data breaches uh, to discuss straight ahead on the broadcast, I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned.
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Brad Cass, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Just a few more uh, uh, points here on this uh, on this issue of encryption, which is coming up more and more. I think you're going to hear it louder and louder, and it, it is difficult to make sense of. But I think that uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook, who uh, is, made this comment back in June, as noted by Politico, uh, puts it very well. Politico reports Silicon Valley's best and brightest insists there is no technological fix for encryption that wouldn't leave consumers vulnerable and that any attempt to design in a backdoor for police and intelligence agencies would inevitably be used by hackers and criminals. Tim Cook said if you put a key under the mat for the cops, a burglar can find it too. Yeah, good point. Uh, Not to mention, if we require U.S. uh, companies like uh, Apple to put a key under the mat to give a a key to the U.S. government to uh, decrypt all communications from all uh, cell phones and so forth, uh, other people, you know, people in other we can't make other countries do it as well. So some of the biggest corporate stars of the U.S. tech industry, such as Apple, Google, Cisco. Uh, they also fear that overseas customers will simply go use other products rather than U.S. made products uh, if we include weak encryption mandates by the U.S. government in the products that we make here. Politico reports that even if police and intelligence agencies secured a way into American encryption systems, terrorists could still shield their communications using applications from companies that are beyond the reach of U.S. law. A security guide that ISIS uses to educate recruits advises using applications such as uh, an app called Telegram made in Berlin, Germany. Uh, And their website boasts that the messages, uh, this Telegram application, their messages are heavily encrypted and can self-destruct. So they're concerned that people will go use other products instead of products from U.S. companies. So it will make U.S. consumers themselves less safe, vulnerable to uh, uh, to hacking. uh, And uh, will send business away to foreign uh, companies. Tech lobbyists said uh, that the FBI failed to make a compelling case for its backdoor proposals when they met recently. The Bureau could not point to a specific example where a backdoor was the only way to get information, especially given the richness of digital information sources in an always connected world. Remember, when people use simple text messages, those are not encrypted. We can already spy on those. We can already scoop all of those up. So, uh, you know, most people don't use encryption uh, for a lot of their communications. 
And uh, meanwhile, the FBI has not been able to come up with an example of, oh, if we had only had a back door, if we had only had the key to encryption here, we could have stopped this attack or that attack. So that debate's going to continue. Meanwhile, a data breach within the Democratic Party is uh, roiling many uh, this uh, this weekend. Uh, man, this is a big story now. A big fight between Bernie Sanders, or at least the Sanders campaign, and the DNC, the Democratic National uh, Committee, which the Sanders campaign has now sued has now filed a lawsuit against uh, within the past hour since um, just before going to air here. Okay, so here's what happens. Here's what happened uh, that caused this fight. Apparently, the DNC has a great big database uh, with voter information. It rents it to all of the campaigns, all the Democratic campaigns uh, who would like to use this information. Uh, and then the campaign is allowed to update, each campaign is allowed to update their own database with their own information about voters. And then that's all kept in sort of one great big huge database, but there is a firewall between the various campaigns. So each campaign gets to use the DNC data and then add to it with their own data. That data is then used to target likely voters in, uh, in, in for example, the early voting states coming up right now in this uh, very uh, contentious race at this point between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton in Iowa and in New Hampshire, etc. That's important information that they are using every day, not just to target voters to get out the vote, but also to raise money. So firewalls are put in place to prevent campaigns from looking at the data that their rivals have collected and that have added to and so forth. But officials said that the vendor who runs the DNC's database, a company by the name of NGP Van, ran a software patch uh, on Wednesday that allowed all the users on the system to access each other's data, to access the data belonging to other campaigns. So they're considering it a data breach, even though uh, there was no hacking here. Uh, it didn't uh, you know, enable any private information to go public, but it did allow information to go. Uh, it did allow Hillary Clinton's information to be seen by the Sanders campaign. And now Bernie Sanders campaign is angrily accusing the DNC of, quote, taking our campaign hostage on Friday after the uh, DNC barred the ca Sanders campaign from accessing a trove of information about potential voters. This as punishment for improperly accessing data compiled by the campaign of rival Hillary Clinton. The reaction of the DNC to the data breach, the depths of which was debated by everybody, is still being debated about how bad this actually was. Uh, thrust into the limelight this long-standing long suspicion among Sanders and his supporters that the DNC is unfairly working to support the candidacy of the frontrunner. Something we've talked about on this show, the fact that, the, you know, the way that the, the DNC has scheduled uh, has scheduled debates. There is another debate on 
Saturday, the Saturday before Christmas, rather than, uh, you know, out in the open the way the Republicans are doing it, you know, in primetime weekday primetime. It seems like they're hiding their debates for some reason. The theory of uh, Sanders supporters is that the DNC is purposely doing this to help Hillary Clinton because uh, more uh, uh, debates uh, seen by more people will somehow hurt Hillary Clinton. Now, the fact of the matter is that has been exactly the opposite of the truth. Uh, Every time, uh, well, so far, since there has been Democratic debates, Hillary Clinton has had a bump in the polls after those debates when she's uh, when there's not uh, holding debates, Bernie Sanders seems to climb in the polls. So it seems to be the absolute opposite of what the DNC might have wanted, or at least what the Bernie Sanders uh, Sanders campaign is accusing the DNC of wanting, of supporting Hillary Clinton. Uh, nonetheless, that has been the call. There's been a lot of acrimony uh, in that regard between uh, between Sanders uh, and the DNC. The Sanders campaign manager, Jeff Weaver, came out on Friday and said, clearly in this case, they are trying to help the Clinton campaign by blocking Sanders' access to this database at this point. DNC chairwoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz responded that the Sanders campaign had inappropriately and systematically accessed Clinton campaign data. Rejecting uh, uh, Weaver, the, uh, uh, the the campaign chair for Bernie Sanders, re- rejecting his portrayal of the uh, of the event as the fault of a, simply a software glitch, and then a small rogue group uh, of staffers. Clinton campaign spokesman uh, Brian Fallon said the campaign was informed that our proprietary data was breached by Sanders campaign staff in 25 searches by four different accounts and that this data was saved into the Sanders campaign account. Now, it's unclear at this point just how bad this uh, data breach was, how much information was actually accessed, how inappropriate it was. The Sanders campaign, for their part, has uh, fired the data director, a guy by the name of Josh uh, Uretsky. He has now been fired uh, for accessing the, uh, the, the Clinton campaign's information. Uretsky said that his team was merely investigating the security problem and trying to figure out how exposed their own data was following the software patch on Wednesday. He said, I believe that I took appropriate steps to audit and assess the security breach and that nothing I did was done in a way uh, that it would give the Sanders campaign a competitive advantage. Nonetheless, Josh Jureski was fired by the Sanders campaign for whatever it was that he did. And then thereafter, the DNC completely cut off Bernie Sanders from the data, which includes his own data. The campaign's own data. Campaign uh, uh, manager for uh, for Sanders said, this is information that we have worked hard to obtain. It is our information, not the DNC's. And so they have now filed suit at this point against the DNC, the Bernie Sanders campaign has, uh, claiming that they had no right to cut them off from this information, that the agreement that they had with the DNC required that if there was a data breach of this sort, or at least of the sort that the DNC is is now alleging uh, the Sanders campaign uh, carried out, 
that the Sanders campaign uh, should have 10 days notice to respond to uh, that, uh, that this even if this was a breach of contract, uh, that the non-breaching party uh, should be sent a notice and given 10 days to respond. The Sanders uh, campaign uh, in, in their lawsuit, they say they raise about six hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars per day through the use of that list that they can no longer access. So that every day that this uh, that they don't have access at this point is costing them, you know, anywhere from six hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars. They are seeking injunctive relief. This is the battle that is ongoing. Bernie Sanders uh, uh, supporters are furious about it. A, uh, hundreds of thousands have now signed a, uh, a petition over at MoveOn.org. So while the Democratic uh, race has been largely peaceful, at least up until now, between the candidates who have been, you know, out there making the case for themselves rather than attacking each other, as we're saying on the Republican side, Things are turning uh, substantively darker, perhaps, uh, with this alleged data breach. And now this lawsuit filed by one of the leading candidates for president of the United States against the Democratic Party. Wow. We'll see. I was going to say much more on this story to come, but we'll see. Perhaps Democrats will simply uh, cave. They don't want this problem. Or perhaps no one will notice because, you know what, they'll work it all out over the weekend before Christmas when no one's paying attention. Man, more broadcast ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Okay, everybody, I got to get to Star Wars. The president doesn't uh, get to Star Wars. Star Wars comes to the president. Man, uh, the Star Wars playing for uh, school children and, and, and gold star families at the White House today before the uh, president left for his Christmas vacation. Frankly, uh, who am I kidding? I was going to tease that. I was going to play the theme song and say my interview with Harrison Ford coming up in moments. But <laughs> don't laugh. Don't laugh. Uh, but who am I kidding? Everyone is out. Yeah, nobody's, nobody's listening. They're all watching uh, Star Wars. That's, oh, yeah. That's all that's happening. It's probably spoilerific out there, so don't don't turn on any social media if you don't want any spoilers. No spoilers, please. Not only did the uh, Democratic Party schedule their uh, the the debate, this is their, and this is their last debate before I, I believe before people will actually cast votes in the uh, in the Iowa caucuses uh, in the in the 2016 election. This is their last debate. If I'm I think I'm correct about this. So the last debate, the final debate before people actually start voting is taking place on a Saturday and a Saturday before Christmas and the Saturday that Star Wars The Force Awakens opens. Okay, actually, it looks like there is a Democratic is debate on when? January 17. And I believe if I've got my dates right that the Iowa caucuses are February 1st. Okay. So there will be one more debate? It's what it looks like. And what day, and what day to, is that? A Saturday? Uh, uh, another Saturday? The day of the week, January 17th. I have no okay. idea. Well, I'll have to go look that up, too. Uh, in any event, they don't seem to be going out of their way to put it's these... It's a Sunday. Uh, it's, it's a Sunday. There you go. They don't seem to be going out of their way uh, to let voters find out what it is they they believe and what they stand for, which is kind of crazy. I'm not sure why they would be embarrassed about any of it. I don't think they are embarrassed about it at all. Uh, which does add fuel to the uh, to the charge that uh, the Sanders 
proponents charge that, in fact, uh, they think this will somehow help Hillary. But, you know, when you bring up that statistic that when they do hold debates, Hillary's popularity goes up. She does great. And when they don't hold debates, Bernie's popularity goes up. So it seems like maybe that was their calculation in the past. They they won't say so. But, gosh, now would be a good time, time to maybe recalculate. They could change it, couldn't they? They still can. They still can. Uh, and they still should. Uh, because uh, instead, what we get is the craziness. And this is what everybody is thinking about. Everybody's talking about as we head into the holidays. You know, everything that the Republicans are saying. They're crazy, crazy. Muslims are out to get us. We've got to shut down the borders, Donald Trump, uh, you know, to any and all Muslims, Mexicans, Syrian refugees, everybody. That's what's going on. And I had meant to get to this uh, a few days ago uh, after that uh, Republican debate. Malala Yousafzai, the Nobel Prize winner, uh, who was uh, shot in the head by the Taliban because she advocated for women's education. Uh, she was how old was you remember how old she was at the time that she was shot? uh, It was like 15 or 16 at the time. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, she uh, she's calling uh, Trump's proposal to stop Muslims from coming into the U.S. Uh, She's calling it tragic. And she should know. She said, well, uh, that's really tragic that you hear these comments, which are full of hatred, full of this ideology of being discriminative towards others. Yusuf Zai told the AFP news service, but. Uh, More to the point, in a separate interview with uh, UK's Channel 4, she said it's dangerous that the comments that uh, Trump and these others are making is dangerous. She said, I can just highlight one thing. The more you speak about Islam and against all Muslims, the more terrorists we create. So it's important that whatever politicians say, whatever the media say, they should be really, really careful about it. If your intention is to stop terrorism, do not try to blame the whole population of Muslims for it, uh, the whole population of Muslims for it, because it cannot stop terrorism. It will radicalize more terrorists. Of course, uh, Malala has become a worldwide icon after being shot in the head and almost killed, left for dead by the Taliban. And here she is uh, warning us, hey, when you guys talk like that, uh, people in my country, it makes more terrorism. Well, I guess what happened in uh, Augusta County, uh, Virginia, is not going to help in that regard either. This happened on Friday. Remember, coming just days after Los Angeles County shut down its entire school system, the largest, the second largest school district in the U.S., shut down its entire school system on Tuesday due to an email threat, which turned out to be a hoax, which when New York City school systems got that same email, they regarded it as a hoax immediately. But out here in Los Angeles, we are so scared, so hair-trigger, about these threats, about concerns, somewhat understandably, I suppose, uh, in that uh, San Bernardino is uh, right outside of Los Angeles here. But still, uh, you know, (laughs) when you fall for this stuff, when you cower in fear, when you turn on an entire religion because of it, as this nation is now uh, clearly doing, as a lot of people, I should say, in this nation are now doing, um, It makes more terrorists. 
It is the uh, a, a, a recruiting uh, mechanism. Obama talked about it uh, today. Uh, for example, he was talking about uh, Guantanamo. He hinted at the use of his own executive authority to finally shut down Gitmo. He says he still wants to do it with Congress. He recognizes that it would uh, uh, be much better to do that way, even if it's an uphill battle to work with Congress, where Republicans and Democrats alike have blocked him from shutting down Gitmo, but he's looking at his executive uh, authority to do it on his own. He says that billions are being spent right now to house 50 or 60 individuals, that it's ridiculous, and that Guantanamo continues to be, quote, one of the key magnets for jihadi recruitment. He says closing Gitmo is part of our counterterrorism strategy. Well, uh, another part of our counterterrorism strategy should be not going crazy, not going nuts, as we saw Los Angeles County School District do this week. And as we saw on Friday now, the Augusta County School District in Virginia, uh, which is uh, closed. The entire school district closed on Friday for an even more ridiculous reason than the one that closed the Los Angeles schools. On Friday, parents inundated the school district with complaints about an Arabic calligraphy assignment at Riverheads High School. The December 11th assignment uh, prompted uh, voluminous phone calls and electronic mail locally and from outside the area, according to NBC in Washington. Augusta County Sheriff Randy Fisher told CBS that the profane and hateful prompted uh, messages prompted Riverheads High School to lock and monitor all of its doors on Wednesday and Thursday. And then as the complaints increased throughout the week, the law enforcement advised the school district to shut all of its schools, all of its schools. So here's what happened. Parents were upset over a, uh, a geography assignment on world religions from a teacher out there, I don't even think I'm going to mention the teacher's name at this point because I think she has been so attacked, so ridiculously attacked, I don't want to add to it. In any event, so uh, the teachers had students practice calligraphy uh, by writing a Muslim statement of faith. Now, that statement was not even translated, but the Muslim uh, statement of faith translates to there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. This according to the uh, uh, news leader in Virginia. Uh, students were also shown a copy of the Quran. Oh, heavens, not the Quran. They saw it with their own eyes. Their innocent, innocent eyes. Shut down the school. Augusta County Superintendent Eric Bond said uh, in a statement to the news leader that the Arabic message was not translated and that the teacher did not ask students to translate it or recite it or otherwise adopt it or pronounce it as a personal belief. The students were presented with the statement to demonstrate the complex artistry of the written language used in the Middle East and were asked to attempt to copy it in order to give the students an idea of artistic complexity of the calligraphy, according to the superintendent. And students are going to be uh, completing a similar assignment when learning about China. And yet the parents went absolutely nuts. Do they know that uh, numerals that are we use in Arabic? You mean one, two, three, four? Quiet, quiet. Don't say <laughs> that's, that. That's indoctrination. We'll have to shut. Yes, that's... 
That's right. All of the numerals that we use are Arabic numerals that were invented in the Middle East. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just can't believe that we still have to talk about this. Parents gathered uh, on Tuesday at a forum, and this makes it sound like this town like turned into South Park, where the, you know the parents are always gathering, they're always mad, they're always upset about something. They've got so parents actually gathered at a at a forum on Tuesday at the Good News Ministries in uh, in Greenville, Virginia, to express outrage over the assignment. Kimberly Herndon, the parent who organized the event, said that the assignment amounted to indoctrination. If my truth cannot be spoken in schools, I don't want false doctrines spoken in schools. That's what it that's what it, it keeps it even across the board. So I they weren't even speaking uh, this uh, truth, this doctrine, this whatever. It was a calligraphy assignment. It's a coloring assignment, essentially, <laughs> essentially. Uh, she gave up the Lord's time, said Herndon, referring to the teacher's lessons. She gave it up, and she gave it to Muhammad. This is real. This is not a wow. South Park episode. And uh, in, in individuals at the forum uh, called for the teacher to be fired at this point. What really surprises me about this yeah. um, is that when they talk about the threats coming from outside the area as mm -hmm. well as from local parents, but outside the area, they were inundated with threats. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, sort of like a domestic terrorism sort of situation where you have people who have nothing to do with the classes at all threatening the schools so that they have to in institute security measures. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing is that... We are so worried, or that at least these people are so worried, and the Republican candidates are so worried and raising so much money and raising their polls so much on scaring people about the threat from others that we ourselves, these people themselves, are now becoming the threat. And we have a similar situation in, uh, in Illinois. Wheaton College placed a tenured Christian professor. She's a Christian professor. Uh, at an evangelical college, she was put on administrative leave because she donned a hijab in solidarity, a headscarf, uh, in, solidarity, in solidarity with Muslim Americans facing scrutiny after recent terrorist attacks in Paris and California. This according to the Chicago Tribune. The political science professor, Laricia Hawkins, announced her intention to wear the traditional headscarf for the duration of the Christmas holidays. She declared this on Facebook last week, saying that Muslims, quote, like me, a Christian, are people of the book. We worship the same God, she said. So this professor, uh, her explanation of why she was wearing the, the headscarf in solidarity with Muslims Oh, it made people angry, including the administration of this Christian college, of this private evangelical Christian college, who said she was wrongfully conflating Christianity and, uh, and Islam. And so they have now put her on leave. In a statement to the Chicago Tribune, 
The uh, administrators at the at uh, Wheaton College said, uh, while Islam and Christianity are both monotheistic, we believe there are fundamental differences between the two faiths, including what they teach about God's revelation to humanity, the nature of God, the path to salvation, and the life of prayer. Well, that's fine. They can have that debate. It's a school. It's a college. You're supposed to be uh, debating ideas like that. You're not supposed to be placing teachers on leave for simply saying that uh, Muslims, like me, a Christian, are people of the book. The college told the uh, Chicago Tribune that Hawkins did not make her plans clear to the administration before she began wearing the hijab around campus. She didn't tell them in advance that she was going to wear this headscarf. In a statement on the school's website, officials said a full review of the, quote, theological implications of her statement would be required before her suspension was reconsidered. If she had decided to convert to Islam, would she still have oh, a job? No, no, that would that's right out. That's right out. Freedom of religion. What freedom of religion? So just remarkable. What's going on in this country? As a matter of fact, if, if I didn't play Star Wars there at the top, I was going. I was thinking of playing a Help by the Beatles. We need somebody. If you're listening throughout the world, we have a lot of listeners throughout the world. Please send help. <laughs> we need help here in this country. What has happened to our country in the past, I don't know how many weeks, is now getting scary. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping, after Christmas uh, comes, New Year's, Perhaps, maybe, we'll have peace on earth, and maybe everyone will calm down. I don't know if they will or not, but we'll see. All right, we will be back in our next thrilling episode with coverage of that secret, uh, hidden Democratic debate over the weekend. They can hide it, but we will find it. We will find it, and we will talk about it, and we will analyze it right here on the broadcast, and I hope you will join us. Until then, if you missed any portion of today's episode or any other, you can download it at bradblog.com or over on iTunes, where we hope you will continue to uh, give us uh, excellent reviews. They're greatly appreciated. Those of you who have done that over at iTunes makes it easier for the rest of the world to find the broadcast. Drop me email anytime if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Bradblog. Until we meet again, don't be scared. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Yeah.